please rate, review, and subscribe to Dare to Explore wherever you listen to podcasts. Dare to Explore is presented by the Space Camp Explorers Club, a new way to support the U.S. Space and Rocket Center and Space Camp. Members of the Space Camp Explorers Club gain exclusive access to content, behind-the-scenes stories, and members-only swag. To learn more, visit SpaceCampExplorersClub.org. SLS, you know, getting ready for uh, for rollouts. Such an amazing experience to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the other side of the VAB. I'm, I'm looking across the transfer aisle at it. So I'm, you know, 30 yards away or something. And just to... Uh, to, to be in the presence and be somebody who has, you know, has chronicled the uh, the history of NASA, you know, written books about Skylab, written books about Space Shuttle, written about the development of those programs and what it took to get them on the uh, on the launch pad for the first time and to now be, you know, witness firsthand to, uh, to that sort of history myself was just such an amazing experience. David Hitt is the communication strategist with Marshall Space Flight Center's Office of Strategic Analysis and Communication. He began his career as a small-town newspaper editor before joining NASA's Space Launch System as their communication strategist. David is also the author of Homesteading Space, The Skylab Story, and Bold They Rise, The Space Shuttle Early Years. I'm Ryan Faricelli. Join me as I learn what makes this extraordinary individual dare to explore. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for. in Huntsville, Alabama. So I'm growing up in the shadow of, of Marshall Space Flight Center, of the U.S. Space and Rocket Center, right? You know, when I'm when I'm a, a kid driving down the highway, you know, the way out of town, you're driving past the, uh, at, at the time, the big Saturn I rocket. We didn't have the Saturn V when I was little, but, uh, <laughs> right. you know, driving past the rocket all the time. Huntsville has just random rockets scattered various places on display around town, so, uh, so you know, my my childhood was very much colored by uh, by the presence of NASA and by the presence of uh, the Rocket Center. You know, when you're uh, when you're in elementary school, it's always a cool birthday party when somebody is having their birthday party at the Rocket Center, and you get to go. <laughs> right. and, it still and, is uh, play on the fun toys. <laughs> oh, oh gosh, yes. I haven't done that in a while. I should do that. That's, that's <laughs> come to my birthday next year at the Rocket Center. We'll, that'd be, we'll that'd be great. <laughs> I never attended space camp as a kid. Um, wanted to desperately. You know, I was one of those every year filling out the uh, the scholarship applications, trying to trying desperately to get a a free ride into to space camp. Um, never, never succeeded. You know, I think I had the, I'd love to be an astronaut. I'd love to go to space. You know, just kind of like any kid does dream but it was never the plan right you know the plan was um you know coming out of middle school going into high school i'm i'm going to uh, to go to you know in, in in the dream it was mit right i'm going to go to <laughs> mit i don't know why other than you know it's good good technical school um i'm going to major in aerospace engineering 
I'm going to become a, uh, an, an engineer. I'm going to come back to Huntsville and I'm going to work at, on giant rockets at Marshall Space Flight Center. <laughs> and somewhere along the way, you know, I want to say it was um, probably 10th grade. I kind of accidentally got involved in the high school newspaper. And that was the point where, you know, the math classes were becoming a little more, a little more challenging. Um, and where I, I just really fell in love with, uh, at the time, not even writing, but graphic and design. I want to go work for a newspaper or a magazine, and I want to be the person, you know, doing the layout, coming up with the graphics, and fell in love with that. So that by the time I, uh, I graduated from high school, you know, I'm going to college, I'm going to major in journalism, I'm going to, uh, to be a communications professional, I'm going to work in newspapers. Because at the time, I thought that was a, you know, I thought there was a fork in the road ahead of me and that I had to choose between these two things, either, you know, this thing that I love, the space thing that I love or the communications thing that I love doing. And it wasn't until much later that I realized that 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 fork never existed, that or was never anywhere besides in my own mind. And so... Anytime I have the opportunity to, uh, to talk to teachers or students, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, getting ready to graduate from high school or I'm a, you know, high school teacher and my kids are getting ready to graduate. You know, what advice do you have? Never, never put that fork in the road ahead of yourself. But <laughs> so many times we, we, we think we have to make choices that just are nowhere besides our own minds. When, when you followed that journalism path out of high school, you went to the University of Mississippi, right? Went to Ole Miss, um, majored in journalism. Got a, a uh, worked at the student newspaper there. Left with a uh, with a bachelor's degree in in print journalism because uh, newspapers had been around for hundreds of years. So I figured they had hundreds more ahead of. Yeah, they're not going anywhere, right? Uh, <laughs> this is a good solid field to uh, to get into. Um, so then, after college, wandered around Mississippi for a uh, for a total of six years, just working at small town weekly newspapers. I was the editor of the newspaper in Eupora, Mississippi, population almost 2,000 for a, uh, <laughs> for a period of some months back in 2000. So, so we wake up one morning and, and we watch the towers fall. And New York, New York is a long way from, uh, from Sunflower County, Mississippi. And so what do you do with that? But over the course of that day, we realized just how incredibly local it was. We we talked to the parents of a uh, of a you know a kid who had gone to high school there who ran down the stairs of the of the towers that morning. We talked to a, a local doctor who was at a medical conference, and all of a sudden he's doing triage um, for the people who were who were on site, and just all of the, the the connections between you know just our our small postage stamp of soil in the middle of the Mississippi Delta, and the events of that day drove home you know. Local sometimes is is a lot bigger than you think it is. What led to the transition out of journalism and and heading into you know the the fork that you had n- had not traveled? Uh, so I, I wish I had a good story here. I wish I had an inspiring <laughs> story here. the uh, The story here is this: um, I moved to Mississippi. I am working in small town weekly newspapers in the middle of nowhere in Mississippi. Um, my goal in life, my dream is that someday somebody's going to come into the office and find me slumped over dead on my desk as the publisher of a, uh, of a weekly newspaper in Mississippi. Like, that's my life's <laughs> ambition. That's, that's where I'm going. 
And uh, the entire decade that I'm living over there, my uh, my parents back home in Huntsville, you know, they would love to have me move back home. They would, uh, you know, have, have you seen this job? You know, have, have you applied for this job? Said, no, mom, I'm, I'm good. I'm happy, you know. <laughs> um, so finally one day, hey, look, you're coming home for Easter. We have this friend um, that, that hires people, right? You're going to be at the Easter egg hunt that we're going to. He's going to be at the Easter egg hunt that we're going to. While you are both at this Easter egg hunt, you are going to talk to our friend, Alan Cunningham, um, about this job. And I was like, okay, mom, you know, <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll do that. So I, so I talk to this gentleman and I find out what it is that he hires people for, right? He's, uh, he's manages the team that manages the content for the education sections of the, uh, of the NASA website. So the, the resources <laughs> for students, the resources for teachers on the NASA website, he's looking for somebody to help write those things. Huh? Okay. You I can, will talk to this guy. You can do um, that, right? <laughs> that's the moment. It took me a decade. I guess it took me 12 years from, from high school, out of college, six years of newspapers before somebody finally told me the fork doesn't exist. Choice only existed in my own head. What I don't hear is any regret for the path that you took. You know, when I, when I was the editor of the newspaper in Euphoria, Mississippi, I was also 33% of the staff, right? There were me <laughs> and there were two other people who were working in the office in, uh, in Euphoria. And that meant that I was the editor, but I was also the reporter. I was also the sports photographer. I was also the ad salesperson. I was also the, the layout person. I was the ad compositor. I was the this, I was the that. And, and it really taught me the value of, uh, you know, you, you never say the words, that's not my job, right? You never say the words in that business, that's not my job, that's somebody else's job. Because it's, it's, it's not, like it's got to be done. <laughs> There's only three right. people. I was, I was incredibly super blessed. I, I spent um, eight years working, at, supporting uh, the, the Space Launch System program, the, the new rocket the NASA's building, getting ready for the Artemis One launch. Um, Eventually, you know, launched the uh, the next astronauts to uh, to walk on the moon. Got to spend eight years working on that program. The first five years, I am um, in the strategic communications office. I'm I'm helping the executives, you know, do their presentations, write papers for conferences, these sorts of things. Five years of that, my the the the, the woman who had been my uh, my my boss in strategic communications moves back up. She has an engineering background. Um, she moves up into the payload integration office. She says, how would you like to come with me and write the uh, the payload integration plan for Artemis 1? I, 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 know, I know nothing about writing <laughs> a payload integration plan for a, for a, uh, for, you know, for a 322-foot tall launch vehicle. This is not a thing that I've ever had the opportunity to do before. <laughs> um, but I know that uh, you know that I've worked with Dr. Robinson for five years at that point. I know that that she knows what I'm capable of. I know that she knows what what this task requires, and uh, you know, and if she thinks that I can do it, um, if she thinks that I can do it, and I go do it, and I can't, it's her fault, not mine, right? <laughs> right. So, uh, <laughs> so okay, sure. But it's it, it you know it was very much rooted in that journalism experience of you know of being willing to step outside of the box of of do different things of not have that you know that it's not my job mindset and uh, and being open to let's give that a try and so you know that was that turned into an incredible experience getting to uh, to do you know uh, to to be much much more closely tied to the uh, to the technical world to that side of things than I was when I was in strategic communications and 
the uh, you know the fun thing about that is so you know jump back to uh, to Huntsville High School to this student who uh, you know back in ninth grade thinks that he's going to uh, to go to MIT and he's going to study aerospace engineering and he's going to do all these right things and someday he's going to be working at at uh, at, at the Marshall Space Flight Center doing this technical work on a giant rocket. <laughs> and instead, we somehow end up with this kid who, uh, who you know, gets hooked on the, the student newspaper instead and goes to Ole Miss and majors in journalism and works at newspapers and ends up doing technical work on, on a giant rocket at Marshall Space Flight Center. I mean, like every decision that I thought I had to make right, I made wrong. And somehow, um, here I am in the place where I thought the road was going to take me having taken all of the uh, the wrong turns to uh, to get there so no you know no not at all no no regrets about the uh, no regrets about the path because uh, you know ultimately if I had tried to do it right there's no guarantee that uh, that it would have gotten me where I got <laughs> doing it wrong right <laughs> Embark on an exciting journey into the world of scuba in the heated underwater astronaut trainer. This ticketed activity helps you learn the skills it takes to be confident and safe underwater and is guided by trained dive instructors, leading you in a series of tasks. Advanced ticket purchase is encouraged to reserve your dive time. Visit rocketcenter.com for more information. was stories for teachers about NASA education resources. If NASA has a new education program, we're writing for the teachers um, about those things. Some of it was writing for their students. You know, hey, we're, we're about to launch the space shuttle again. You know, here's what the space shuttle is going to be doing on this mission. Um, but I still have somewhere tucked away in a, uh, in a folder. I would have been in... I want to say what, like fourth grade or something. This would have been sometime around 1984 that uh, that, that Reagan says, "Hey, we're going to build a space station," and uh, and at the time, you know, in in your elementary school classroom, you would get every every week, every month, I forget exactly, oh, every week, the the weekly reader, the Scholastic News, right? You know, the, the little newspaper of news for uh, for school kids, and uh, and the front page story one week was uh, was about this, was about you know Reagan saying, "Hey, we're going to build a uh, a space station." I still have it. Like it made enough <laughs> of an impression on nine-year-old me that uh, that I tucked it away. I kept it. I still have it in a folder today. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing. Did, did that help get me on this path? Was that one of the things that uh, you know that helped point me in the right direction? And the idea that I was now that guy, right? You know, somebody wrote that story. Somebody, somebody at the Weekly Reader with no <laughs> clue that he was writing something that some kid was going to tuck away in a folder right. for, you know, four decades. Um, I'm, I'm now that guy. I'm now the guy writing the stuff that the, uh, you know, the fourth grade kids are reading about what NASA's doing. And, uh, and I loved, loved, loved the idea that, uh, you know, that maybe there's some fourth grader out there who, you know, it's all on the internet now, so he's not tucking it away in a binder. But, yeah. uh, filing it away in, the, in, in, in his head and having that same sort of uh, impact on some kid who, you know, that, that was 10, 15 years ago, you know, that, that 20 years from now is going to be, uh, 
you know, on his own space adventure in part because, uh, you know, this David Hitt guy wrote a story about what the next shuttle mission was going to be doing. <laughs> I joined the um, I joined the SLS strategic communications team um, nine years ago um, doing strategic communication. So that transition out of the Stratcom group, um, working with the payload integration group, that was uh, that was about four years ago. So when I very first got involved with the, uh, the Strategic Communications Office for SLS, this was not terribly, I mean, the, the last flight of the space shuttle was still pretty fresh in, uh, in people's minds. Um, my wife working at the Space and Rocket Center was doing the, uh, the bus tour of Marshall. Folks would go to the museum. <laughs> they would, uh, they, you know, they'd get on the bus and she would give them a tour of uh, Marshall Space Flight Center. And when people would get on the bus, they would ask her, she had people actually ask her, um, are we going to go see where NASA used to be? <laughs> um, right? <laughs> There was this mindset that after the shuttle, it had uh, it just you know it, we'd all packed up and gone home, right? And and so that was kind of the uh, the mindset. I mean, there was you know this public perception that um, that it was done, that we were <laughs> that we were through with space, and um, and we knew right, we knew the seeds of you know SLS is in development. Um, commercial crew is is in development. Um, the James Webb Space Telescope is is in development. Um, you know, all of these exciting things are coming. We're 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 still working on them. You know, it, it, it's not there yet, but just you know, <laughs> kind of this message of just just hang tight for a minute. Like <laughs> we're we we are still here. We are still working. Um, you're going to see the day. Um, in the you know in the in the not terribly distant future where we go from from a space shuttle from having an American launch vehicle an American rocket to carry American astronauts into space to having an American space fleet right, right. Um, we're you know we're we're actively working on you know uh, the SpaceX working on Dragon and Boeing working on Starliner and and NASA working on SLS and Orion and uh, you know and the day is is not too far off. When we're going to have, you know, like I said, not just this one vehicle, but this fleet of, of different American vehicles carrying American astronauts into uh, into space. And uh, and so, you know, it, we were doing that. That was what we were doing. We were carrying the fire going out to the public, whether it be, you know, going to a, a very technical um you know, uh, AIAA space conference, or whether it be going to, to Comic Con, um, telling the uh, you know telling the people in the industry, telling the the general public, telling the stakeholders in Washington, you know, it's it's coming. The the day is coming, um, and and trying to keep people you know excited and passionate about space while we were uh, working on the next the next great ship and the next big things. There is definitely an era of being out of sight and out of mind. I think for NASA. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's so exciting. We're, we're there now. About a year ago, um, my my former boss, Dr. Kimberly Robinson, um, left NASA completely to go become the <laughs> uh, the new head of the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. It, it looks like there's uh, maybe some exciting stuff that she's uh, that she's getting to do now. They have a pretty um, good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, right? Yes. Um, yeah. No. It, it's it's been awesome getting to, uh, to 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 watch the stuff that she's been doing over there during the past year. But uh, so around that same time, though, I made the transition into uh, supporting the Human Exploration Development and Operations Office at NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center. And and what that uh, what that impressive string of words means 
is that uh, this is the group at Marshall that does all of the uh, the human spaceflight work at the center besides SLS and the the new human landing system. So we are the uh, we support the science mission control for the International Space Station. Um, we support the, uh, the the commercial crew program. Um, working on working towards the uh, the Artemis base camp, right? The uh, you know the, the the immediate next steps is the next human footsteps on the lunar surface. But then the, uh, the the step after that, what we're really working towards is that sustained human presence, going back to the moon, not just to visit, but to stay this time. And to make that happen, you got to have a uh, a house on the uh, on the lunar surface, right? right? So uh, so we're working to develop those uh, those habitats where astronauts will actually be living. Um, long term on the moon for the first time. The books are hobbies, very, very, very extensive, very time-consuming hobbies. But, right. uh, but yeah, <laughs> completely, completely separate from my day job. I would, uh, you know, I would get up in the morning and I would go to work all day uh, at work writing about NASA, and then I get off work and to, to chill, you know, to relax at home. I would write about NASA. So, <laughs> so when I started in in the education office writing, you know, stories for the uh, for the education group. We had to find our own topics, and uh, and I looked ahead, and I noticed that we had the uh, the 30th anniversary of, of Skylab coming up, and uh, so we should write a story about the other uh, 30th anniversary of Skylab. So I start kind of doing some research about uh, about Skylab, and and two things come out of that. One, I, I'm kind of struck by at the time how little was out there about it. Um, you know, Skylab came between Apollo and the space shuttle program, and Apollo, the moon landings, you know, I mean, some people think those were kind of important, you know, I mean, like (laughs) there's been a lot of attention paid to to Apollo, a lot written about Apollo. Um, At the time, the space shuttle was uh, was still actively flying. It was the current program. So there was a lot of attention, a lot of focus, a lot being written about space shuttle at the time. And and here's poor old Skylab just kind of, uh, you know, standing there between these two giants on on either side. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was interesting to me that there wasn't more out there about it. And so the other thing that happened, though, was um, I happened to, to notice that there was a Skylab astronaut who lived right there in Huntsville. And so I send an email to, uh, to Owen Garriott and say, hey, you know, could I ask you some questions about Skylab? And I'm thinking he's going to, you know, yeah, give me a call or maybe, you know, email me the questions. And, and, and Owen says, yeah, hey, that's great. Come on over. We'll talk for a while. Oh, wow. I'm going to an astronaut's house to talk about Skylab. <laughs> this is kind of cool. So uh, so he, he was so wonderful, so nice, so helpful. Um, got some great stuff from him. And, and, uh, and so I'm looking at the list again, and I see there's another astronaut that lives in, uh, in Huntsville in Madison County. Uh, what I don't notice is that it's not A-L, it's A-R. Um, Jerry Carr, who was the commander of the third crew, lives in... In, in outside of Huntsville, Arkansas, um, <laughs> not realizing that I'm talking to somebody in Arkansas, I do the same thing. Well, let's try it again. So I, I contact Jerry Carr, and he, you know, he doesn't invite me to his house, but he says, "Yeah, sure, I'd love to talk to you." So I talk to the uh, the commander of the third crew, and uh, and well, okay, at this point, I got to round out the set. I've got to have somebody from the first crew, and so right. I, uh, you know, I I, I cold call poor old uh, Doctor Joe Kerwin. Um, at work one day and then you know he's sitting there trying trying to get stuff done and some uh some you know some kid contractor at marshall is calling him to ask him about skylight but he's very gracious <laughs> very uh, very helpful and then so this thing t- turns from uh you know from one little story into a three-part series and i've talked to uh, the three of the astronauts 
and I had a great time, but that that stuck with me. That idea that uh, you know it, it deserves more. Somebody else should uh, should write more about this. There should be a book. Somebody should write it. Um, it's not me because you know I, 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 I'm some schlub. You know, working as like you know, uh, <laughs> it, it should be a professional writer, right? They should get a professional writer to uh, to write this book about Skylab and. A few months later, we have a big 30th anniversary uh, celebration in Huntsville, big event at the Space and Rocket Center. The astronauts come in. I get to talk to them again, meet, you know, Jerry and Joe for the first time in person. Hey, thanks for your help. And in the back of my head is, uh, you know, somebody should write a book about this, but but somebody else, a professional writer should write a book about this. And uh, fast forward another few months later, and I'm in... Um, I'm in I'm in Houston um, for work, and I go to the uh, to the museum there, the, the Space Center Houston, and they had um, they have an, an amazing Skylab display, and, and I and I have the realization standing in that room next to a, a giant Skylab trainer that um, every dime I bring home comes from writing. I mean, that's kind of the definition of, of what a professional writer right. is. And so, maybe, like, maybe you're qualified. Maybe, uh, <laughs> Maybe this guy needs to, uh, you know, needs needs to be the one. So I, uh, so I come up with a plan. I come up with a brilliant plan, um, which is I'm going to come home. I'm going to send a letter to Owen. I'm going to send him this email, and I'm going to say, "Hey, I want to talk to you about this. Um, I'll buy you lunch. Let me buy you lunch, and let's talk about this." Because my plan is, there's no way that this astronaut is going to say, "Hey, yeah, I'd love to write a book with you." Um, what's going to happen is. I'm going to go, I'm going to meet him for lunch. We're going to have this conversation. Um, he's going to say, hey, thanks, but no. I'm going to leave. I'm going to call my dad and say, Dad, guess who I just had lunch with? Um, <laughs> I, I just ate lunch with a guy that lived in space for two months, and I'm going to count it as a win. And that's going to be a really good day that, uh, that I'll be talking about for uh, for years to come. You know, the, the times that I had lunch with, uh, with Skylab astronaut Owen Garriott. And so we go to lunch, and uh, he says, well, you know, I've been thinking about writing a book. Let's do it. <laughs> Owen was being interviewed for a book written by a gentleman named Colin Burgess, um, who was writing a book about the scientist astronauts at the time. Colin says, I have just become the editor for a, uh, for a series of books to be published by the, uh, the University of Nebraska Press um, about space history. Um, we are actively looking for an author for a book about Skylab. Um, <laughs> So we wrote the proposal. We got started. We started interviewing astronauts, um, talking to, uh, to some of the other crew members. Um, we went out to uh, to, to Texas um, to meet up with uh, with Joe Kerwin to interview him for the book. He says, "You know, I've been thinking about writing a book." And uh, so, okay, well, hey, let's 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 form a uh, you know a, a super astronaut team up here <laughs> to, uh, to write you know the ultimate Skylab book. And uh, and so uh, yeah, so we did. You know. <laughs> Long story short, we wrote the book. It's out. It's homesteading space. Um, <laughs> it was a great experience for me. I I I, I would could never have done that by myself. Um, one of the uh, the things that I've learned of, about myself over the years is I uh, I work better in a group um, than purely on my own. In that I work better when I have a structure for uh, for accountability and having two American heroes uh, that you're accountable to. <laughs> right. <laughs> Great way to keep yourself motivated. Like uh, I cannot let down the Skylab astronauts who are counting on me. I, I probably should write this morning. You know, <laughs> you know. I started it with the question of why is Skylab so underappreciated? Why is Skylab so overlooked? And yep. you know, and had the, the theory of you know it's between Apollo and shuttle. And I think there's some truth to that. 
I also think looking back, it's it's hard for us today to realize there was ever a time when we didn't know the things that Skylab taught us, right? Um, with the International Space Station, there have been so, so, so many um, spacewalks on, on the space station. Hubble, you know, when we were flying shuttle, Hubble breaks. Well, of course, we can just send astronauts up on the shuttle to, uh, to do a spacewalk and to fix it. Right. And we didn't know that. Like, there had never been a spacewalk to do anything unplanned before Skylab. We had to figure that out during Skylab, that that was even a thing that you could do. Um, mm. But the space station today, astronauts living and working in, in, in space every moment of every day for the last um, 21 years, that, that's a thing on Skylab that we had to learn that we could do. Um, and the very fact that, you know, the very reason that they're there doing actual science, doing actual research, doing actual meaningful work, not just being in space, but but doing things in space that you can't do down here. Again, that's, that, that's Skylab. Um, so there's so many things that... Uh, that today, well, you know, well, of course, that uh, that 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 when we launched Skylab, we're not remotely, of course, um, but that we kind of fail to appreciate the uh, the contributions that it made because we can't remember when we needed to learn those things. <laughs> um, a a more specific, more quirky, more interesting takeaway. Um, this is one that's not in the book. This is one that I've, I've learned in the last couple of years. Um, so I'm giving you a special bonus, a, uh, you know, a, a director's cut deleted scene from, uh, from Homesteading <laughs> Space. Um, Skylab is launched. And when Skylab launches, the, uh, the heat shield, the meteoroid shield, um, the, the airflow gets between the, uh, the, the structure of the workshop, the structure of the stage, and the heat shield, the meteoroid shield, rips it away. What happens when that happens, one of the solar arrays... Um, one of the solar panel wings deploys early. This is during launch. It's in the atmosphere. It's ripped off completely. So when you wow. see Skylab on orbit, it's lopsided. It's only got one wing. It was supposed to have two, but that's what happened to the other one. The second wing, a strap of the metal from the shield wraps around and catches it and keeps it from deploying. This is good because if it had deployed, it would have been ripped off also and you would have Skylab in orbit with neither of the wings and you would not have had a program. Um, right. it's, it's bad because now it's stuck and when Skylab gets into orbit, it, it doesn't deploy. So you have, you know, you temporarily you have the same thing. There's a space station, <laughs> it's in orbit, it's crippled, it doesn't have the, uh, the, the power that it's supposed to be having. What it does have is the... Uh, the big windmill X on the uh, on the telescope mount. You know, if, if you see a picture of Skylab, it's got the uh, you know the very iconic little right. windmill X solar rays up on the uh, the telescope, and it's drawing power off of that. So it's in orbit. It doesn't have its primary solar rays. It's not getting the bulk of the power that it's supposed to be getting, but it does have this uh, this this other system for the telescopes, and so the whole thing is drawing power off of that. These two systems were designed completely independently. The, uh, the, the, the telescope was designed based on the, uh, the Apollo lunar module, the Apollo lunar lander. The workshop was, a, it was derived, was based on the, uh, the third stage of a Saturn V. It's, at one point, the plan was you would launch these two things separately on two different rockets, and you would literally tie them together in space. You would tether them together. Oh, my gosh. They would just be tied together in orbit. So at some point, you know, okay, we're going to launch on a Saturn V. We're going to launch it all together. It's all going to be physically integrated on the vehicle. Um, but somebody had to say, somebody had to say, hey, we should probably run an electrical wire between these two systems. 
right? And because that guy thought of that, because that person thought of that and said that, there was a connection between the solar arrays on the telescope and the uh, and the workshop. And because of that, there was power from that telescope to the workshop when it launched and everything went wrong. If that <laughs> one person had not had the thought, hey, we should probably do this, the whole program would have been for nothing. And so it's just kind of amazing to think a little detail like that, a little moment like that makes all the difference to, uh, to something that big. All those years of work, all the, you know, the billions of dollars that went into it, one person one day saying, hey, you know what we should do? <laughs> wow. The other book you wrote is a history of the, the, f- the first years of the, the space shuttle eras. Yes, yes. So it's written for the uh, for the same series. Um, I was I was finishing up the Skylab book. I was at the point where I, I had finished the manuscript, but the book hadn't come out yet. And the series editor, Colin Burgess, um, I'm talking to him on the phone one day about the Skylab book. He says, "Hey, by the way, um, we need authors for uh, for a pair of books about the uh, about the space shuttle. Um, do you know anybody that would want to write a book about the space shuttle?" <laughs> and, uh, and, and he asked me at the exact right moment when the work was behind me, but the excitement was still fresh. And uh, it's like, yeah, I know somebody that would love to write a book about the space shuttle. I, that was my spacecraft. Right. I love Skylab. I love the history of it. But uh, but, you know, but, but, but Skylab, the last crew, came, you know, came down more than a year before I was born. That was that was before my time. It's history for me. Right. Space shuttle, you know. I mean, my my dad. I'm I'm five years old. My dad says, uh, you know, come here. We're gonna we're gonna watch this thing on uh, on on TV. And I sit there with my dad, and uh, and he and I watch STS one, watch the uh, the first launch of the uh, the space shuttle together. Yeah, this is this is my spacecraft. This is the uh, this is the one that I grew up with. You know, this is I, I was watching Space Camp the movie, and when it when it <laughs> first came out, I was. Uh, uh, you know, I was I was in middle school for uh, for Challenger. You know, that's that's my uh, that's my Kennedy moment, right? That's that's my my generation's nine eleven was uh, was I uh, you know I remember I remember where I was. I remember the conversations that I had um, after we launched after we lost Challenger. Um, you know, that was that that was that was my spacecraft. That was my life. That was my story. And so there was a uh, there was a passion. You know, Bold Day Rise is. Uh, it's it's a warts and all look definitely. I mean, you can't write a book that includes uh, that includes Challenger without admitting that uh, you know that, that, that there were things that could have gone better, right? I mean, right. there were the shuttle definitely had its uh, had its problems, had its issues, but uh, but even so, you know, it was uh, it was my love letter to uh, to shuttle the entire time I'm writing it. They've already made the decision that shuttle is going to be retired. Um, you know, I, I right. start writing it during those waning years. So I know shuttle is, uh, is going away. And so this was kind of my, uh, you know, my goodbye to, uh, to the space shuttle program. That moment, you know, my dad putting me in front of, uh, in front of the TV for STS one and, uh, you know, Hey, let's, let's watch this thing together is, is probably something that, uh, that led to you and I having this conversation, <laughs> uh, here today. Right. And yeah. so now I've got a, uh, you know, I've, I've got a two year old in the house we watched Green Run of, of SLS, and we've watched the uh, the SpaceX launches, and we watched um, uh, the first Starliner uncrewed launch. And he's not going <laughs> to remember any of these, um, but what he is going to be old enough to remember is uh, is Artemis three. When uh, when there's people on, on on SLS and they're going to go up and they're going to dock with a uh, with a SpaceX uh, lunar HLS, and uh, and he's going to get to see uh, human beings 
walk on the surface of the moon. And, um, yeah. you know, and I'm hoping that that's a moment that for him, I, I hope that that sense of anything is possible um, sticks with him that same way that, uh, that SDS-1 did for me. I'm a little bit jealous that, uh, <laughs> you know, he's going to be six, you know, six, seven, watching human beings walk on the moon. Um, for the first time in his lifetime, and I'm going to be, you know, 50, and and that's totally not fair that uh, that I had to wait half a century, and he gets it like that. But it's it's exciting that it's so close. It's it's been a long time coming. Did you attend space camp when you were young? Join the Space Camp Alumni Association, a group for graduates of all space camp programs, to connect and support space camp from around the world. Your mission doesn't end at graduation. With Space Camp chapters located across the country and virtual networking opportunities, join the team to support the next generation of Space Camp trainees. Visit SpaceCampAlumni.com for more information and to join your local chapter today. So I, I am the director of a uh, of an improv comedy troupe. Um, another one that I get asked about a bunch is I am a tour guide for the uh, for the Huntsville Ghost Walk. I give ghost walk tours um, <laughs> in Huntsville. Um, I do the cemetery stroll once a year in Huntsville. We do this uh, event at the cemetery where people dress up as people buried in the cemetery. I portray a uh, guy who, who who was killed in World War One, um, dressed up in my World War One uniform. Um, and the, uh, and the, the, the short answer to all of this, it's already too late for the short answer, but the, uh, you know, the answer to all of this is, um, talking about writing the book, right? I get up in the morning, I go to work, I write about, uh, I write about space for, uh, you know, for eight, however many hours a day. Um, I get home, my hobby is I'm going to write about space some more. Um, and so just to, uh, just to stay sane, like just to, uh, <laughs> as close to well-adjusted as uh, as I can, let's do some things that have nothing to do with space. Like how far away from from aerospace engineering can uh, can we get? I, I was before comic science. I was originally in an improv troupe called Face to Face, and at one point, like two thirds of the troupe were people that worked either as uh, as civil servants, NASA employees, or, or contractors at Marshall Space Flight Center. And it was that, like, this was our escape. This was our release. We looked at numbers <laughs> enough. Um, let's just uh, let's just be funny for a while. Let's just make stuff up, right? There's no requirements document. There's no, uh, <laughs> there's no, there's no plan here. We're just going to make things up. It's going to be funny. There's no numbers. Like, it's great. I've been doing improv for uh, this will be 16 years, I guess, um, wow. and I, you know, and I keep doing it for uh, kind of for that reason. Like it is so opposite um, everything else that I do that it's just kind of a a way to stay sane. You know, similar sort of you know the the, the ghost walks, but uh, but that's the appeal. It it, it is so far from uh, from the other world. You know, I love going out on a uh, on a Friday night and uh, you know sitting around talking to an audience, telling ghost stories. It's it's a uh, it's a fun thing to do. They called and said, hey, do you want to be on the next rocket? Would you go? Oh, yes. Yes. And I heartbeat. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Do you want to think about it? Tell me which rocket. If I, if I get to choose, um, I want to walk on the moon. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for. I'm flying up to the stars. I'm going to dare to explore. This time 